1: everyone we're back in 2021 is episode number 22 of across the room reverse i don't think there's any need for elaborate introductions by now you you know who we are i'm sean and i'm joined today by steven uh steven how is uh, the new year treating you so far uh so far so good uh, back
0: at school today uh, first day physically back in the building with the kids in 2021 so uh it was a, definitely a transition I had to wake up early, but uh, Roma got me ready for that yesterday since I had to wake up at 6.30 anyway to watch the match. It was only at 15 minutes earlier today, so I guess in some ways Roma helped me get ready for work since I've been waking up about 7.30 for my uh, virtual lessons with the kids. How about you, Sean?
1: I'm, I'm good. I'm feeling very smug. And as I told you before, I'm, I speak to you on my new Samsung tablet, uh, which means that I can actually open my, my show notes alongside you know, seeing Stephen on my screen. So I've been a very, very middle class, very, you know, we'd like to brag about our accessories and I'm going to brag about my Samsung at uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very smug right now. And uh, also I just got off the Chiesi Dotti site where Bren just broke some news that I know not everyone is going to care about, but if you're at all a Cato Feminino fan, this is major news for Roma. Roma are in talks to sign Elena Lenari, the Italian international defender, who has won titles with Fiorentina previously before she moved to the higher leagues in Spain with Atletico. Then she moved to an even higher league in uh, the D1 division of France with Bordeaux this summer. But uh, her, her adventures with Bordeaux seem to have ended even more pre- prematurely than they, they were with Atletico before that. Uh, Lenari has struggled to find a, a consistent home for her play, domestically and that's a bit of a concern but nonetheless she's rumored to be returning to Italy where she won multiple titles, she's still in 26, she's in her prime she's one of the best defenders in the world if not the country well I should have said that the other way around actually but either way she was part of what made Fiorentina a leading power in the, in the women's league and now Roma in course, in talks to sign her so that would really put Roma in the position to be the second power in the country right now um, we know that things aren't going so well for Roma in the league, but signing Gnabry would be a massive, massive, massive coup, and that is massive breaking news today. So keep keep track on the site with that one if you love women's football. I know I do. Uh, we'll be on that story all week, but for today in episode 22, you know we're here because we're gonna we're gonna recap what happened this weekend. Uh, you know the American side of our viewers, all as Stephen just mentioned, had to get up nice and early on this Sunday for. Roma facing Inter Milan at home, uh, two clubs that have a long history of enmity, of overspending on players who don't work out, and also of drawing matches recently, as Bren and David McBarlin pointed out in our recent Q&A with our sister site, Serpents of La Madonnina. Uh, they've drawn a lot of matches since 2016, which was the last time that Roma won or beat Inter at home. So could they do any differently or any better in 2021? If Roma had won this weekend, they could have gone second in the league on head to head results, beating out Inter with the win that this, at at this weekend had that happened. But uh, spoiler alert, it didn't. <laughs> if Roma lost this weekend, they would have risked falling to the edge of the Europa League bases, if not out of them entirely, with Atalanta, Juve, among others, having a game in hand over the Gels Rosti. Uh, Meanwhile, on the other side of the pitch, Inter needed to keep up with pressure on their inner city rivals, AC Milan, at the top of the table. And uh, both teams were going into the game with doubts over their major names. Inter with doubts over Roman Lukaku's fitness. He of the 50 goals in 70 Serie A games, which is a r- ridiculous return. And uh, Roman with doubts of the fitness of Leonardo Spinazzola and Edin Dzeko. It was, um, yeah, so even I'm going to to you real quickly again to, to ask you how how was the early kickoff did you did you by the end of the match did you think it was worth it watching this game or was it
0: not uh well it was certainly easier to wake up for the roma match than for work today i'll i'll, I'll give you know that that in that sense it wasn't the, the worst thing in the world but um i'm just glad they didn't lose if they had lost this match two one and couldn't find that second goal it definitely would have felt not as much worth waking up for the fact they got mancini's leg goal helped uh helped me feel a little bit better. Uh, It's never easy to wake up at 630 when the sun's not even out yet, you know, in January. Um, But I had to watch the game, you know, almost in silence because my wife is still sleeping in the room next door. So it was just silent fist pumps when Roma scored and cursing under my (laughs) breath when they gave up goals instead of the usual uh, screaming, uh, either positively or negatively. So I guess uh, I don't want too many six thirty AM matches, but for a big match I'll I'll suck it up and get up. You know, I'm just glad yeah. it wasn't like Benevento or Spezia or somebody.
1: Yeah. Well we, we know we have plenty of Lord Alarosi fans on the site and of the web who, who woke up to watch the game as well. If he didn't, hey, no shame. Uh, as Steven just mentioned, the final score was a draw. Roman neither won nor lost. They drew once again with Intet two all. Uh, Roma actually broke open the game with the Lorenzo Pellegrini opening in the 17th minute. That was majorly thanks to Jordan Vertu seeing the ball uh, and launching a, a Roma counter-attack. Um, that helped start off to move that. Lorenzo Pellegrini eventually finished off with a, a helpful de- a deflection that took it past Samir Rahandanovic, it has to be said. But uh, a goal to goal. And uh, from that moment on, it seemed like the, the fair setting for Roma being on the precipice of maybe, maybe... Finally, beating a top six rival on the Paula Fonseca, and they started to defend the lead from the end of the first half to onwards. Uh, that led to a lot of inter pressure on Roma's goal. Finally, culminated in a uh, Scrinia equaliser in the second half from a corner of all of all contexts. It wasn't open goal, wasn't wasn't open play, it wasn't the pressure that that led to. It, it was a wide open header from a set piece that Scrinia buried into the corner, and then uh, to Adds, you know, even more frustration to to Roma's day. as Hakimi, then minutes later, hit a wonder strike into the top corner that was literally unsavable. You you could not get a hand to this. Paul Lopez otherwise decorated himself in glory in this game for once because he came up with two great, great reaction saves, but nothing he could do with Hakimi's strike. Really solid individual effort, and one way you just have to take your hats off to it and say Hakimi is on fire right now. Um, And that seemed to actually set in the fear for Inter um, for the rest of the game in a very rollercoaster, topsy-turvy kind of chemistry where Roma actually, with the help of a few substitutions, um, helped to turn the tide, actually take the game to Inter, come on to them. A lot of critics in this morning actually are taking away credit from Inter more than they're giving credit to Roma, saying Inter got too defensive. But either way, the end result was that Roma freshered Inter uh, in the last phase of the game, and with just five minutes of normal time to go, Gianluca, Gianluca Mancini pops up with a header at the other end of the pitch after Springi did it at one end. Mancini pops up with an equaliser from a corner, and uh, that's how it's finished at the end of the game to all. And uh, we'll get into the key moments straight away. Waste no time, uh, Stephen. I know you wanted to, you know, you wanted to lead off with this section, so maybe you take it from here.
0: Yeah. So one thing just to mention real quick on that first goal that if you hadn't seen the goal, the Vertu 2 play on Barella was very impressive, I thought, because um, I know we're going to talk about uh, Inter's goal next. But, you know, he tracked back hard against Barella, who is not only one of, you know, Inter's best players, he might be Italy's best midfielder and arguably their best player right now on the national team. And the the work rate from Vertu to take that away and, you know, Barella asked for a foul. It was a clean tackle. It was just a great all-around play from the team from end to end to start that goal off. So I thought that was a, a big play on Vertu's part. we will get more Agreed. into him a little bit later. Um, I, I, thought,
1: I thought like it just looked like he was completely switched on from a minute ago. He, maybe he took some bikes in before, before <laughs> kickoff or he, he was really like on every single thing.
0: Yeah. 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 Impressive play. You know, he didn't take it off some bum player to take it off Barella and, and, start it off was very nice. And then the, the Hakimi goal, cause we won't talk too much more about it. It was just, there was nothing Lopez could do. There wasn't much Spinazzola could do to even stop him. It was just, you know, he placed it perfectly. Uh, I read somewhere, they, they, I forget who said it. I don't know if it was the announcer or if I read it somewhere on Twitter, that if there was a spider web in the corner of the goal, he would have cleared the spider web out of the corner because it was so perfectly placed. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, getting into some of the, the key moments, Roma zonal marking on set pieces, we know sometimes it comes back to bite them. Uh, today, it definitely came back to bite them in one instance, and that was screenyard's tying goal. Um, he was completely unmarked. So, what do you make of the zonal marking, Sean? When Roma, you know, does that on those corner pieces, those set pieces?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the zonal marking. I, you know, I wouldn't die on a hill for it because I, I don't have strong emotions towards marking set pieces in general. But uh, you know, all the, the, the way it works is a very simple system where if you, you know, you just cover your area. You've, you've got less to focus on and you've got you know you've got more to give at corners so if you do your job more more times than not it works out and you know you you'll clear the corner sometimes you have to leave it up to intuition where someone has to judge what they see you know eye test the corner and, and really you know take a risk and take the responsibility upon themselves and that's where the weakness of zone marking is is that um you know when no one does that it looks terrible when you when you give up all screen eyes um, and then people jump on it the next day and they'll say, well, why, why would you zone a mark? You know, why, why, why wasn't someone picking up their man? Um, Cause again, I think, I think I wrote about this recently or well, a few months back, but you know, man marking makes people feel comfortable because then you have someone to blame when it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. You have someone to, to single out where zone marking everyone has to share the blame. But this was just one of those goals where it's really hard to, to say zone marking is a good idea because it, it looks really bad when you give up a complete free header like this, where no one has picked up that space in between the two defensive lines. And Scrinia just floated in there and it you was know, left completely free, just buried it.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, you know, for, for our American listeners and anyone else worldwide who watches American football, sometimes defenses will play, you know, zone defense to cover passing plays. And when you have a good quarterback like a Tom Brady or someone like that who just can have a receiver who finds a soft spot in the zone, they can pick apart his own defense all day. So if you have someone who takes a, a corner as well as Brozovic took that corner kick in the middle of that zone and someone like screener, who's a good header of the ball gets into that soft spot in the zone, so to speak, it just looks bad because there was nobody from Roma around him. And there was nobody, even when you watch the replay a couple of times, and you're looking like, Oh, who should have had him? It wasn't even clear on the replay to me who really? should have really had oh, yeah. him, you yeah. know, and that's the same, same idea. Like you said, if, you know, a cornerback in football, American football is covering a wide receiver and he gets burned and he gets beat for a touchdown, you know, who to blame, but yeah. in a zone, it's not always so obvious. And I think that's the same thing here. If, you know um, I don't know who would have been marking screen here, but say it was Mancini or Ibanez or someone just got beat. You could point a finger. There's no, there were no fingers at point. It was just the, the system was flawed in that case because you know, they, they found the hole in it. So it was, yeah. it was a tough pill to swallow because you know, we, we talked about, you mentioned earlier Roma for the most part early on was taking the game to inter a little bit before halftime, they started turned off a bit about the 35th minute. And then this goal came in, I believe is was the 50. Let me just take a quick peek. Uh, f- 56th minute. So it was in that, that spell where Roma kind of turned off yeah. that, that it hit them. So, you know, this was really that, that kind of turned the game because Roma they were holding out, holding out, and you just kind of felt like once they turned to a more defensive look, this was coming, and the zonal marking mm-hmm. let them down there.
1: Yeah, um, I, I would say if it were an like an, a glaring inherent weakness in Roma's system, then I would have expected Inter to exploit it again. Yeah, from the game. Mm-hmm. They, had, they had more corners and it didn't happen. So yeah, it's just one of those things. That
0: happens yeah, sometimes. happens from time to time. It just happened at the wrong time for Roma yesterday. You okay. know, they weren't up three nothing when it happened. They were up one nothing and. Inter got that tying goal. And then um, the, the big thing we've noticed a lot of time with Roma going to our next point is that Roma seems to be a g- very strong first half team. I, I think they have the best goal differential in first half. I, I read a couple matches ago, or one of the best goal scoring records in the first half of matches. And it seems in the second half is when games start to get away with them. I don't know if it's that other managers make tactical changes that Fonseca doesn't match right away because mm. Roma's two heavy defeats to Napoli And Atalanta was the second half where they really fell apart. You know, they scored first on Atalanta. They were in the match with Napoli until the second half. This match, same thing. Inter uh, dropped Vidal and Barella a bit deeper in the second half onwards, Sean. So did this change uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini's influence on the match at all? Because he had a strong match. But did you notice any difference when uh, Inter made that change? I
1: mean... It is more than Pellegrini. I know. I know. I highlighted Pellegrini in the notes because it's a on-running theme about where is Pellegrini's natural position in this team, and to me, it looks like it depends very much on how the opposition plays. That so you get, you can get a different Pellegrini from one half to the next if they adjust their tactics as Inter did. But it was more than just him. Uh, you know, the, I think when we get into this area, this is this is an area where either you feel like the responsibility lands more on Fonseca or you feel like it lands on the players to be better at adapting in-game. Now, uh, what Fonseca said after the game and even Conte, you know, said it on his side was that into deliberately move back Barella and Arturo Vidal deeper into their a half and onto the Mediano area to, to focus on building up the ball and also to stop giving Roma that, that reference point to actually push up and be aggressive against them so early as we know, you know, as we, we just think without, very two we did in the first half. So what um, that did was the you know, Roma Roma players seemingly they didn't know they didn't know where to, where to take their cue from with with players interplayers standing ten yards further back. Suddenly you're wondering, well should I push up? Should I stay where I am? You know where, where do I take my cue from? Where, how do I how do I keep bringing the you know the the aggression that I've been bringing in the first half? And you saw that Roma really just fell flat from that point on. It shouldn't be that easy to take that aggression out of our game just mm-hmm. by making one single switch. But it's either you feel that Roma in the second half of the games run out of steam because Paulo pa- pa- Fonseca doesn't make the right changes, and you know feels uh, over 30 players like Mkhitaryan, Pedro, jeco who are inevitably going to either ask too much work rate from their teammates, will you know, run out of steam like Vertu just did yesterday, or they'll run out of steam themselves. Uh, so either you you take that view and you blame it on Fonseca or you blame it on the players. Now, me personally, I felt it's up to the players yesterday. I didn't look at it as a game where I was thinking, oh, Monseca could have done so much different. I, I think the only issue I'd bring up with Fonseca that we'll get into later on was starting it in But mm-hmm. other than that, I felt like it's it's a game where we have a good system at the club and the players just need to keep um, looking to themselves to to be smarter. You know, if, if, if opponents uh, pull back two midfielders, you should be able to adapt to that yeah, if you' if you're if you're if you're used to how eventually you'll get used to how opponents try and take away your, your weapons against you when you're when you're used to playing in a team for you know, it's like one and a half seasons now By by next season we will be three seasons deep into Horsica I think by then we'll see that the players will have been used to all the ways in which our opponents can adapt to our, our game and try and you know try and turn it around and they'll know how to react but I want the players to really be uh, held responsible first and foremost for that. Otherwise, we'll never get there. If we, you know, if we start blaming the coach again, we'll just be treating players like they're, they're kids and like you know that. You know, Fonseca can do this and that to make them play well. It's not always like that. That's me. Um, I know I've gone into into you know a, a long diatribe here, but I hope I got my point across clearly.
0: Yeah, I think in in some ways you're right. You know, Fonseca, I'm sure is coaching certain things in in training to have his players prepared. Um, and then it comes down to the, the players. We don't know what goes on in training every day, but you know, the players have to be able to anticipate certain changes and react to them a little more quickly than Roma did yesterday. It shouldn't take falling behind by that second goal to then kind of make things happen. Um, mm-hmm. because we've seen the improvements from Roma this year, like you mentioned, you know, they're taking care of business against everybody, except for the big team still, um and you know inter is a superior team to roma we can we can admit that and not be upset about it and to pull out a 2-2 draw when you're down is not a bad result um it's probably a good result considering they ended up going down and inter you know dominated the middle section of the game but i think Mm -hmm. that the thing that's a little harder to swallow is when roma's up first and then they give up those goals because they changed the style i think that's the yeah the hardest part to take you know like the milan game was a back and forth draw against top of the table team i think it was a little easier to take but yeah. inter like the uve match two times they've played teams um that were you know for all intents and purposes superior in terms of uh, talent and you know quality of player from how much they're valued at and everything else and we had those two games won i think that that is the only part that was a little frustrating yesterday and the same with the uve match the end result was not frustrating. It was just how we got to that end result. I think in some ways yeah. it's a little frustrating. When, um, when it
1: looks like there's, there's a bit of like lack of self-belief when you go yeah. ahead and it and is, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Coming in. yeah. Um, but, you know, keep, keeping with the key points, you had mentioned Jordan Vertu working himself into the ground. Um, do you think he had to work extra hard because he was being outfoxed by Inter's tactical switch, you know, mid-match? Or I see you put, was he sold short by Jeco? So why don't you tell us what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, in the the middle of the game, I I felt it was very much the former. I felt like Dzeko from minute one was uh, not putting himself about enough in terms of, uh, you know, I I don't expect Jacko to be the one, like, tackling and and rubbing the ball off defenders high up the pitch. uh, I think it's fairly obvious yesterday that Romo looking to trap Inter out wide. You also had Lorenzo Pellegrini, who some people had, I think he had a game. I think he was okay. Um I'm very happy that he scored the goal. I think that's great for him. But um he wasn't looking that great on defense either. But then I started to question. Well, he's leaving the right flank so open that it can't be that he's, he's playing bad. It's like, it, that must be a tactic to trap mm-hmm. him out wide. So I thought that's what they what Roma were aiming for. So I don't I don't expect Jaco to be this all conquering or all ball, all ball winning forward. You know, like sometimes he will just. Uh, ever so gently steal it into defender or, or midfielder into playing out wide so that his team can track the ball there and win it back. But having said that, even with that lesser role in terms of pressing, Jekyll was just moving about like a slug yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we what we saw in in reaction from Jobin too was he was pressing one player, then pressing a the, you know, second player in the same moment. You know, he was he was all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like. I, I put that responsibility on Jacko that you know, if, if he just put more effort in and looked sharper, maybe, maybe he came into the match not fully fit because he's been out with an injury recently. But if he just looked sharper, then Vatu would have had less to do. But at the same time, it's never 100% on one player or another. You know, Vertu also I expect him to be um, more economical with his efforts to last 90 minutes. Instead, he just he lasted about an hour, and then he, he's, you know, Fonseca had to take him off because he just had nothing left. Yeah. How did you how did you see it yesterday? I,
0: I I thought Jekyll had a poor game. You know, I, I I think Jekko still has a lot of value for this team. I, I think in most of these big matches, he's still the guy who's probably going to start and probably should start. But after what we saw from Myral midweek, uh I don't mind Myral not starting because Jekko is your captain. He's your your big striker. He's the, you know, big match experienced player. But I thought the switch could have been made much sooner yesterday, considering how Jekko was playing. He came off an injury scare midweek. Uh, I think he waited until it was it was very late when he made that switch. I think the game was already 2-2, wait, wait, right?
1: Waited until 2-2, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: so, you know, Mancini scored the 86th minute. That sub was made after the 86th minute. Um, yeah. I thought Myral could have brought value, especially when Roma was pushing for the goal. Fresh leg, someone who a little pacier, maybe could get in behind the defense. Um, just do something a little different because I thought it was one of Dzeko's poorer games that we've seen this season and yeah, yeah when he when he's not working hard and pressing and like you said he's you know 33 34 you're not going to expect him to press the way a younger player would press for 90 minutes but mm-hmm. he, he was he was much poorer than his usual standard he, even his passing percentage 68.2% was was very low considering how easily roma was moving the ball around for much of the match nobody else in the the outfield players was below 82.9 for mikatari so roma had plenty of space to just knock the ball around even jecko from that regard, was was poor yesterday. His passing wasn't even great. I, re- I remember there was one pass he made. I forget who he was passing to, but he was just kind of a, a simple chip out wide, I think, or something. He just completely hit it over someone's head. and That yeah. was pretty early yeah. in the match. I was like, oh, that's not good. And,
1: and then, you know, th- the was, overall was match
0: another, wasn't very good.
1: There was another play in the second half where, like, finally, I, I, after a, a long spell of pressure, we actually managed to put Jekyll through on goal in the box. And instead of, like, Pulling it back to another player, or even shooting on goal, he just was sort of like, almost with fatigue, just like passed it straight to the inter player. In the yeah, I mean, it just it just didn't he didn't look right yesterday at all. Yeah, and, and of, I mean, one
0: shot, uh, not even on target, is is not like him. He usually has more shots yeah, than that. Flurry of shots, yeah. yeah. Usually <laughs> most of them off not. target, but you know, <laughs> at least he put at least he's trying to sc- shoot the ball a little bit more. That was uh, yeah. not not his usual standard either.
1: But you know, just, just to put it into further context on the whole like defending from the front issue, you know, I looked at because I, I spoke with a CDC member on, on the front today about it. He was defending Jacko and almost taking it as if like I, I was insulting him, but I, I wasn't intending to. I was, I, I'm i a fan of starting Meiral right now because I think he's a better player in the context of this team. I always say that it's always mm-hmm. in the context of this team. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying that Miral is a better player. I'm not saying that Miral is a Premier League winner with Man City or that Miral has done anything like what Jekyll has done in his career. But at this stage where we are in 2021, with Miral being 23, Jekyll being nearly 35 now, you know, Miral is offering to this team more, in my opinion, than Jacko. And to put it very specifically in terms of pressure, uh, I look at bomb, and Jekyll has played um, 12 full games just over twelve full games with ninety minutes where compared to Miral's three. So Jekyll's played four times the amount of minutes as, as Miral. And Jekyll's made ninety-two pressures in that in that um in that amount of time, whereas Miral's made seventy, I believe it's seventy-three. Wow. So you know, that's just a, a difference of like the rate of how, how much they offer defensively to, mm-hmm. to the team. You know? Um you know when when you have someone like Miral who can put the stuff about and actually press from the front you can, you can change it mid game. You know, if someone, if someone like Vettel is tired, Mkhitaryan is tired, just say, okay, Miro, you move out wide for a bit and you start pressing and mm-hmm. give someone else a breather. With Jekyll, you don't have that option.
0: Yeah. You don't have that flexibility tactically to, to send him out wide and and, yeah. and interchange and do those things. And Meyer came off his probably best game as a Roma player uh, midweek yeah, against, Cortona, yeah. against Cortona. He looked great. He scored two goals and then drew the penalty for the third goal very active i mean and the one goal was a beautiful goal that he scored on wednesday if, if yeah. it wasn't for that um I forget who scored the other goal I, but somebody else scored one goal better than him But i thought it was gonna be a goal of the week candidate i forget who scored from a different club that was actually a little bit better than his but uh you know he he scored a goal of the week type goal he was active and yeah the pressures are, that's a great statistic you brought up because 73 pressures in in the equivalent of four matches versus 92 in the equivalent of 12 just shows that you know Dzeko doesn't have the legs. He does. There's certain games you can see he's feeling good and he will press pretty hard, but most games, he doesn't have the legs to do that anymore. And that's why I don't have a problem with Fonseca starting Dzeko so much. Cause like I said, he's the experienced player. He's the captain. It's it's a big match. Um, But make the change sooner. If he, if he looks as poor as he did, you know, Um, give Meyer all a a shot in like the 70th minute when Rome was down 2 one and they needed that goal, maybe they could pressure enter into a mistake or something. So I I think that's a, a big point. I I love that. He brought up that statistic. Um, because you know that brings us into you know wh- the Roma change in tactics. Why did they defend a one nothing lead rather than take the game to Inter at one nil? Try to find that second goal instead of you know waiting to take the game to Inter when they were down two one. Uh, do you think it had to do with any of Conte's substitutions, the change in tactics? Uh, maybe when Roma finally made a couple substitutions, what do you think uh, contributed to Roma waiting to finally take the mm-hmm. game back to them?
1: That was the general line today in the media, and even in, in like the Inter you know, favorite press, like because you know, they tend to cover the Northern Clouds more than Roma. And uh, the writers were talking about how Conte gave the game away rather than how mm. Roma took it back. You know, so I, I, but I, I look at it, I don't I don't really see what Conte could have done differently in terms of, especially in terms of subs. You know, I, I mean his explanation after the match was very straightforward. Um, he said that you know, some players asked for a change, like vidal because they were injured. Mm-hmm. Um, other players were just tired, and you could visibly see it on the on the, on the pitch. So, you know, why not use your whole squad? Um, you know, I, I don't see what Conte did that was so bad. Um, and like he like he said earlier, I, I think it was obvious on the pitch, not so like not so badly obvious that I'm ashamed to to be a Roma fan, but it was obvious that Inter were a better team, you know, with mm-hmm. better players. I mean, you know, they they just you see Robin Lukaku play, and you're just like, we don't have someone like that right now, you know. Yeah. Uh, we don't have someone like Hakimi. You know, so they, they have better names. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I just, when I look at what went wrong on Roma's side, I, I don't know if it was so much tactic as, as I said, again, players. I hope, you know, I looked at Spinazola um, playing at 1 0 up compared to 2 1 down. And at 2 1 down, he's giving it his all. You know, mm-hmm. it just seemed like he was managing, managing his own game, really, his own program. Maybe he felt like he had to do that. Maybe, maybe he was told to do that by the, by the coaching staff before, before the game. But I felt like there was more for Roma to give if they would really believed in themselves and had their, you know, their mind in the game and thinking that they could really bring it to enter. Um, so it's a, it's a mentality thing for me. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about it?
0: Yeah, I mean, Spinazzola coming off the injury, you could tell he wasn't uh, fully fit. Um, maybe the sub for Perez should happen a little sooner. Perez gave him a little bit of life down the left flank. I mean, Hakimi's a tough matchup for anybody. Um, mm-hmm. is one of the few guys who can probably run with Hakimi, but yeah. you know, coming off the injury, um, certainly didn't have the same amount of gas we've seen at, as in other matches. And, and you've mentioned in other episodes that he doesn't always play 90 minutes to begin with. So, coming off an injury, I'm
1: sure he didn't have, have enough Good. Good. to go. But I would say, Spinazzola it's someone who doesn't actually have to run with his opponent to stop him. One mm-hmm. of the things that I've always said that's great about Spensoli is that he's a great defender. Like he, yeah. he, can, he can read the play early. You know, he doesn't he doesn't actually rely on his physique to be yeah. a good defender. He, he can if he has to recover, but very often he doesn't have to recover because he's actually mm-hmm. in the right place at the right time.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the the speed is more of a bonus on the attacking side a lot of the time with him than yeah. him having to track back. Um, yeah. That is a matchup that I'd like to see again later in the year when he is fresh. Or maybe Before. so to speak because it'll be late in the season so he might not be fresh but not off an injury because those two are burners down that flank yeah. matching up that was a, an interesting hope, one
1: that would still be a top of the table clash. yeah
0: way. i mean at least a top four clash. you know by the yeah. time we play them again but i'm looking at conte subs you know the darmian off for ashley young in the first half was a f- injury four sub i mean yeah. he brought on Perisic for martinez you know uh Latado needs to come out. He brings on Perisic. I think Perisic in that situation is a better sub than Alexis Sanchez because you're defending a lead. So you want a little more, um, not a defensive player, but I think someone who might defend a little bit better tracking back in Perisic than Sanchez. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with Galliardini came on for Vidal for the last 10 minutes. Galliardini is a more, you know, defensively solid player than like a Stefano Sensi or an Ericsson who's available on the bench. So
1: that's another that's another four sub as well because yeah. they do actually ask for
0: that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you had Akimi come off for Kolarov, which some people, um, Inter accounts that I follow, they were complaining about that sub. I mean, Kolarov is what he is at this point. That was mm-hmm. a move that Conte wanted. So if you you know if they want to point out that sub maybe as an issue, yeah. you know that's, that's, that's kind of a the only question mark. Yeah, that's that's the the question mark, um, and it happened right before the goal. So certainly, you know, I guess there could be some blame. I don't know if Hakimi would have been in a different position because the goal came on a cross from um, VR off that indirect corner. So maybe they thought Hakimi could have gone out to cover the, the indirect corner quicker, maybe because yeah. that was that left side of the Inter's defense.
1: I suppose that, that reframe frame screenshot of uh, Smalling and Mancini like with joy on their faces and yes. of anger between them, you know, yeah. with his face dropping, that, that didn't help the Inter fans. No,
0: much. I'm sure that didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but that that's the only sub you could really point out. But if he felt that Hakimi needs to come out, there's nobody else really to bring in for Hakimi. I'm looking at the unused subs. It was the two goalies, Padelli and Radu. It was Sanchez, Sensi, Ranokia, and Ericsson. So, you know, Inter's bench wasn't much deeper than our bench yesterday. You know, yeah. Sensi's a move you make if you're trying to dictate play a little bit more maybe. Um, but we know Conte's style is to sometimes when they get that one goal lead and it's late in the match, just defend like hell and – you know, try to keep the ball out. And Mancini made a great play on a, on an individual matchup with uh, – he beat Screenyard in the play, right, I believe? It was it Screenyard that went down like a ton of bricks, like he got elbowed?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I,
0: I think it was screen yard, Um, which he tried to play it off like Mancini threw an elbow or something, try to make it look a lot worse or pull him down yeah. or something. But Mancini did a great job. So that's one of those plays too. It's a little bit different than, you know – Hakimi's individual effort because Hakimi's was a beautiful shot, but Mancini made a, a beautiful play on the head of that yeah. ball. You know, he had that ball beautifully. Just that deflection that went into the corner. Not the same header yeah. as Man- Manolas' goal against Barcelona, but the same idea where you just kind of deflected and, and put it away from the keeper, and it found the corner. Yeah.
1: It was it was so deft that from one angle I actually thought it came off his back. Yeah, it's it like that. But, yeah. but then you see it from other angles, and it's actually he, he completely meant it one percent. Yeah. So.
0: yeah. All right, so we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll come back in a, in, a, in a minute with some key players and and looking ahead to what's next for Roma. So here, we'll be right back with you.
1: All right, we're back from the break and we're going to talk about who were the real protagonists of yesterday on both sides, but mostly in the Roma jersey. Uh, one player who hasn't always had his name in the in, in lights and in glory lately uh, came back with a vengeance yesterday and uh, just in time for the W della Capitale next week where his you know, site was his biggest his fortune happened last season. That's another than Spanish goalkeeper, Paul Lopez. Uh, he had two great world, well, world-class reaction saves yesterday, if he can call it reaction save world-class. Um, Stephen, how do you feel about Paul Lopez yesterday? And is he back to, uh, for a short contention? Is he, is he, has he won the number one jersey again, or, or is it still up for debate? Yeah, I mean...
0: Um, Mirante was not available. So it was, it was a forced, um, start for Fonseca. So we don't know what's really going through Fonseca's head at this point, but Lopez did plenty to warrant another start against Lazio on Friday, even if Mirante is ready. Those two saves you mentioned, uh, one on Lukaku, um, quick reaction on that header where that rum back line thought he was off. Spinazzolo held him on. It would have been a good goal. Great save. And then he made another great save on Lataro where he came out and, um, saved a shot low, Um, those are the kind of saves we need from Lopez. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, he also almost gave a goal away right after one of those saves with a a poor pass, but it didn't come to anything. So, you know, no harm, no foul, but he, he did Mm -hmm. enough, I think to warrant another start. Um, he's going to need a couple more solid performances like that to, I think secure first choice, because, um, I don't know if he's had enough good performances yet to kind of push Mirante to the bench, despite Mirante's two, poor performances in Roma's big losses but I mean wouldn't it be fitting if he comes back and has a a great match against Lazio and kind of come full circle because before that Lazio debacle in I believe it was January or February last year before the lockdown we played them early in the season he was really good and that was kind of like whatever sent that mental downward spiral for him which turned into poor play um you know, maybe it'll be full circle. What do you what do you make of him? Do you do you rate him first choice of, ahead of Mirante now? Because I don't think a goalkeeper's coming in in January, so I, it's got, got to be one of those two.
1: Yeah, I, I can't see a new keeper coming in January. If if, if that new keeper is here, it's, it's Daniel Fusato, who's, who's back yeah. from his loan in Portugal, and he made the bench yesterday. But um, uh, I, I, I try a way to give Lopez the benefit of the doubt, if anything, just to be a needle in Brent's side because he's dead second. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, I, even I could admit that I don't know. Palopis just doesn't. It really boils down to as a fan, do you feel safe when when your keepers yeah. on the pitch? Like, do you feel like okay, we got this guy at the back, we'll be we'll be okay? Uh, Pal Lopez doesn't instill that confidence in me. Yeah. I have to say, and I've, I've really worked hard to give him that benefit of doubt, but I just don't. I don't feel safe with him around. Um, I always feel like maybe he's got a clanger in him uh, you mm-hmm. know, as, as the game goes on. So you know, I give him huge credit for yesterday, uh, two saves that really most keepers have no right to make. Uh, so clearly he's you know he's 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 on his game and he's, he's talented. But uh I mean he's back to first choice keeper by default really. <laughs> you
0: know <laughs> yeah I agree. I you know he still scares me. And and the fact yeah. that he made those two saves was a bit surprising because we've seen him give up some clunkers. Yeah. Um yeah. so I think by default you're right. And then if God forbid he has a bad match against Lazio, then we're kind of back to square one and maybe we're Mirante starts day. against Spezia. So we hope he at least keeps us in the match and gives us a chance to win against Lazio if he is the one that gets called on.
1: Yeah, the be- best thing Paulo Lopez can do from now to the summer is just keep the goalkeeper transfer headlines at, at a minimum. You know? uh, Just mm-hmm. yeah, keep the mistakes out, and uh, we won't have to read about the transfer pages that we're, we're rumored to sign this guy or that guy. And then in the summer, we'll talk about it. Yeah, come July, we can, we can worry about that. Exactly. Um, um, next up is yeah. after, after Lopez um covered himself in glory yesterday we had we had the, the anticipated rematch of chris morning and Romelu lukaku lukaku on you know on great form he scores one goal every 96 minutes for, for into the season which makes him the second most prolific behind cristiano ronaldo at juve but i'm pretty sure ronaldo's numbers are inflated by penalties so yeah um yeah we were looking for chris morning his former manchester united teammate to once again keep him on lock and it has to stay. has to be said that to Roma's credit Lukaku did not get on the score sheet yesterday. So, but uh, I did see Lukaku sometimes evade this morning yesterday and, and beat him to, to a few first balls. So, uh, Steven, what, what do you make of it yesterday? Who, who came out on top in that bout?
0: Yeah, that was a you know heavyweight matchup. You know, big big striker, big talented striker against a you know big style defender. They spent time together in England at uh, United. I, mm-hmm. I thought Smalling more than held his own. He kept him off the score sheet which is the most important thing when you're playing against a player like uh, Lukaku. Um, mm-hmm. Lukaku also didn't set up either of the other goals. They were off of a, uh, you know, a corner and a play by Hakimi. So, yeah. you know, overall, I think at the very least, it's a draw between the two. Maybe you tip this, this scales to smalling a little bit because they kept him off the score sheet. I mean, mm-hmm. Lukaku did not have a bad game at all. Um, when you look at his overall stats, he still had two key passes, three dribbles. He drew two fouls. So he did all those other things you want from a striker like him, who is yeah. important in the hold-up play and, and helping the team build up. His what, passing what, was a little poor. but
1: what, what surprised me was that he seemed to be playing more of the tower role yesterday mm-hmm. than the tower was, the, the tower was yeah. like, sort of moving beyond him uh, and being, being the last man on, on defense. So uh, that was uh, something that I didn't expect. Maybe I haven't watched Inter enough this season, but I was expecting it to be the other way around. Yeah. He reminds me of Dzeko in
0: some ways with his hold-up play where he can have a striker um, run off him, like a Lautaro tower run off him, like we've seen players like Mkhitaryan run off Dzeko, yeah. uh, I think in some ways. But, you know, the fact that five of his six shots were off target and the one that was on target was that beautiful save by Lopez says, you know, something for the defense. You you kept him into not great shooting positions, I'd have to say, you know. So yeah. solid game from Lukaku, but I thought Smalling was was good yesterday. He got that yellow card and it did not stop him from still playing – Lukaku tight, because I, he played, I believe, about half the match with that yellow card, which is uh, not yeah. easy to do against a striker of uh, yeah. Lukaku's caliber. He still had one, four interceptions, one, four clearances, and two blocks.
1: One yellow card each either, and, and both of them were fouling each other, mm-hmm. so not yeah. think about their rivalry. <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't know if that was uh, the one that Lukaku took was a little bit of a, a frustration one, too, because Smalling took the ball and then Smalling started to actually break, which we don't see him do too yeah. often. That's more of Mancini and Ibanez's role in the back. And yeah. uh, Lukaku got him from behind, and then Smalling got one a couple minutes later. I don't know if uh it was didn't seem like the the worst play on Smalling's part, but maybe it was just an accumulation. Oh yeah, I
1: I actually swore in in, in that game. I have yeah. no idea how how that was judged. The booking. Yeah, maybe as a technical foul because he's breaking the, mm-hmm. the counter attack. Yeah, I, I just felt it was... like yeah, I felt it was a shoulder to shoulder, and that's yeah. it. You know,
0: yeah, yeah, I thought Smalling was a little unlucky, and credit to him, like I said, for playing. Uh, a long portion of the game after that and not um, not taking an, another card and, yep. and still not having to back down to Lukaku. So yeah. th- the matchup there yeah. lived up to the billing and I thought Smalling did more than hold his own. He's back to that form we saw last season, I think, which is huge for Roma.
1: Yep. Here, here at Chiesa, we're giving it a small victory, which is probably no surprise to everyone. So uh, congratulations, Chris. Uh, what, what, I, what I had in the in, in midfield, in the midfield department, we saw Gonzalo uh, Villar A lot of people praised him which uh, seems like he gets nothing but praise nowadays um and i'm happy for it because i love him but mm-hmm. uh, i felt it was actually more of a muted performance yesterday but not in a bad way more like he recognized that this was just a game where coming up against a stronger team and he has to focus more on uh, doing a, a defensive shift and really just plugging the gaps and making sure he does that right and he can build off that so did, did you feel like he had a good game or were you expecting something different
0: I thought he had a solid game. Um, the thing he's really starting to grow on me because, you know, he was an unknown um, and he's growing into the role. I actually like this situation we have now with um, Pellegrini and Mikatarian playing the more attacking roles together and VR sitting behind them with a Vera two or with a Chris because I think it brings out the best in Pellegrini and the best in VR Pellegrini also played well in that role, but if we can get both of them on the pitch, and have Pedro as more of a sub when he comes back in some of these matches. I think it, it helps Roma in some ways because VR is so good at holding on to possession. He had 84 touches yesterday, which was second on the team only to Vera 2's 88. Um, okay. His passing was good again. Both of them actually, Vertu 96% and VR 90.4%. So they both had strong matches um, until Vera wore down, like you said, but I thought, VR is growing on me. The way he can dictate the ball, you know, he doesn't really get the ball taken off him very often. Um, I think it's something that Roma lacks sometimes when he's not on the pitch, they don't have somebody else that can really work in those tight spaces. He's got that, that classic Spanish skill set that we saw over the last decade or so from those Spain teams where they like to play that little ticky tock little short passes, just keep the ball Mm -hmm. moving tough to take the ball off of. And I, I, he's, he's looks like he has the makings of a really good player. I'm not, you know, anointing him the next Iniesta or the next Chavi or anything, but he looks like for <laughs> I, I the, you know. <laughs> you know, for the four or 5 million that Roma spent on him, he, he looks like a a bargain. a, a bargain and a half, you know, really, really good, good move. I think from, from.
1: Um... Yeah, that, that does beg the question. If you like VR and Pellegrini in the same team, it's a long-term question. You don't have to worry about now, but where do you play Nicolás Añuelo? Well, that's
0: the thing. I think there are, This season, you don't really have to worry about that because even when Zaniolo comes back, I think it's more of that super sub role that we've talked about because I don't know if he's ever going to have 60 or 90 minutes in his legs this year if he comes back in March. Maybe by the end of the season, he might vie for like a 60-minute start or something. Um, It's a good problem to have, though, if you do have that problem. I think depending on the matchups, you could match up against different teams in different ways. It gives you the option to play Zaniolo in the attacking midfield or to rest to Mkhitaryan. And play Mc- mm-hmm. um, Zaniolo and Pellegrini, and maybe VR needs a rest. You drop Pellegrini back a match. So, um, and depending on how the other team plays, maybe Pellegrini's better sitting deep against certain teams. If you want him to just, yeah. you know, not play yeah, the that, attacking mid.
1: That that's where, in the big picture, I disagree about Lorenzo Pellegrini because I I I am very happy with his performances for the player he is. But looking at the team right now, I feel like we lack. I mean, we talked about it before we lack that. That driver on the right side, mm-hmm. who can really like make yes. make opponents worry about more than just be another Spitzola mm-hmm. on you know? the uh, left. to me that, yeah, you know, I didn't expect to miss Daniel as much as I do, but I do. Yeah, um, and I'd rather have him in the team than not. So I, I don't know where I place Lorenzo Pellegrini. You know, it's, it's hard for me to say anything bad about uh, Lorenzo because he's he's had a, he's having a really good season. I, yeah. I like his performances, but do I like them more than VR? Do I like them more than what I? Ideally, Daniel will bring to the team. No. And do I like him more than Mkhitaryan? No, yeah you know, Mkhitaryan's the best player in his team right now. So that's that's where we see things differently. You know, I, I want to be in Pellegrini's corner, but I, just, I don't see him as better than what we have right now elsewhere. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's a good problem to have because if you have a player
0: of Pellegrini's quality and he's showing it this year... And that's a question as to whether he should start or not. It's not because he's not playing well and he's playing this well. And it's a question if he should start when Zaniola comes back or when they bring in El Shirari possibly, or some of these other players, that's a good problem for Fonseca to have, especially when you're playing hopefully in the Champions League next season, hopefully fingers crossed, you know, and you have those two uh, match weeks and then you have a tough midweek match in Europe, not some, you know, small team from Lithuania or Bulgaria and these teams that we played this year in the Europa League, you might be playing, a team from the premier league, a top four team from the premier league or Spain or Germany. So, you know, the more depth you have and the, the more quality players you have is great. Um, yeah. you know, I'm a big Pellegrini fan and I was disappointed in him last year. So I'm happy to see he's kind of turned the corner this year and he's taken on more of a, a step forward in his career. He's taken on more of a yeah. leadership role. It looks like you see him talking to the ref more often taking on that vice captain role. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like he should, um, and the fact he started chipping goals is nice, too, because we saw that a lot at Sassuolo, and now he's starting to do it here, and that just adds another threat to our, our overall yeah. team. But your question is valid. Where does he start if everyone's healthy? That's, that's a great question, and it, yeah. it gives Fonseca a lot to think about.
1: And it's, a, it's, it's a very good point you make about it. it shows how good the team is that we that we could have these problems soon um yeah i, I just want to be clear that as you know i'm happy as well with pedigree yeah bosses. like I'm, I'm really happy he's turned the corner i'm happy he's getting goals because that, that gives him another like, source of confidence to work off of mm-hmm. rather than just assist. yes so you know I'm, I'm fully i'm fully happy with everything i just um at at best with rome at the strongest i see him as maybe a, like a Rotating with Mkhitaryan, mm-hmm. maybe like you said, maybe getting a spell out team, but uh, a bona fide starter, I don't know. Another guy who is making this choice even harder right now with his recent form is Brian Cristante, mm-hmm. who I felt was sublime in the last match against Crotone, almost like the, the fulcrum of the team, really, stringing together everything, and then uh, came on yesterday in the second half, and changed the, the complexion of the game for Roma and uh, was, you know, drawing the plaudits after the match in terms of how much he influenced the, the final result. What do you make of uh, Cristante, and then how, how deep is he into your thinking right now?
0: Yeah, so, you know, I, I never felt he was as bad as some people made him out to be the past couple of seasons. I think, you know, we expected different things from him because he came from Atalanta where he was playing that more attacking midfield role. He was chipping in almost, uh, almost double-digit goals in the role that um, Gasparini had him playing but he's showing that he's got qualities that can help Roma, whether it's off the bench or a spot start, like he did against Betsy or filling it in the back when we're short in the back, I don't want him starting at the the center of the back three against a Lukaku, but Mm -hmm. against the teams (laughs) that we played against, not named inter with like a big striker, like Lukaku, or, you know, maybe a Juve against Ronaldo or some of these more dangerous teams, mid table teams on down, he can play that center of the back three. And he did just fine and dictating play out of the back when Roma, controls possession in a match like that he can do just fine he he's a great long passer of the ball we saw against Bertone yes. midweek that one was almost Totiesque, not to sound blasphemous but the way he kind of just looked quick over his shoulder before he received the ball and just flipped it forward yeah. out to my on the play he drew the penalty was was beautiful i mean you most guys cannot make that pass so you know, he looks slow and lumbering against quicker teams. We, we've seen that the past couple seasons when he's stuck in the midfield as that defensive midfielder. But, man, if he's in the right situation, um, and maybe you can tell us more about what situation fits him best in that midfield, he can be valuable at times. What, what have you made of him of late?
1: Well, I, I first of all, I agree that his versatility is great in terms of the mm-hmm. bigger picture for Roma in terms of like – team building and their finances, because if you can if you can shorten the squad and make it like, you know, 18 to 15 great players instead of 22 or 24 players that are maybe mediocre and never really get into mm-hmm. great form, then you're saving a ton of headaches in terms of both management and finances, and, you know, Roman really needs to bring the finances down. So the more versatile players we have, the better. Um, and Cristante is firmly in that mould. Uh, but second of all, I think uh, if we if we went back to what we were trying last season, which was like more possession based game where we camp out in the opponent's half and despite the, the spaces get smaller, then you're back to looking at Cristante uh, looking lumbering yep. and the game's playing into his weaknesses and he's mm-hmm. he's looking flawed. You know he's not looking like Cristante we've seen this season, which is Roma stretching the game, looking for counter attacks, looking for a great vertical pass of the ball that can yep. pass it forward like Cristante can, And that plays into his strengths. Um, unfortunately, he's He's never had the pace to actually justify the fact that he, he thrives in a in a game that's more wide open and spaced out. If he had that, then he'd be the perfect player mm-hmm. in, yeah. that, in that situation. But uh, he doesn't have that and it, it's strange that he actually finds confidence in uh, game scenarios that could easily expose his lack of pace on the counter yeah. if, he, if he's suffering that. But that's just the player he is. You know? He's intelligent enough and technically adept enough on the ball that he can actually hold his own when, when the game is stretched and and when there are big spaces for him to, you know, to make those long passes count um, and his vision count as well. So, yeah, as as we're more of a counter-attacking team now, Cristante is thriving. We're seeing more of the, the guy who was at Atlanta running into space, mm-hmm. exploiting that space and, you know, really hurting opponents um, offensively. And uh, he, he's one of the few, you know, one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is that I feel like this team is still very soft in terms of physically yeah, um, going up against opponents like Inter um, and Cristante has that physicality you know, he, he, will, he, will, he will put in that valve for the teammates to make sure that you know, the opponent thinks twice about you know, giving us a hard time um, I think that's what he brings uh, that very few other players in the squad right now bring and that makes him a bit of a unique proposition in that sense
0: Yeah. And I think it was um, De Rossi who said about him, I take 11 Cristantes on the field every day for his effort, his work rate, his desire. And he doesn't have the same facial expressions that De Rossi has that shows he is like, you know, out of his mind, like crazy man in the, in the midfield. But you can see he's, he's the third choice captain for a reason on this team at this point, you know, he gets the armband when Pellegrini and Jack aren't on the field and that shows that the team and Fonseca value his leadership value what he brings to the team in outside of the actual physical play on the pitch and you're right the physical presence he brings is important against some teams because he's a big big boy and he can get up and win aerial battles and he can battle some tougher midfielders and against certain teams that might be important and you're right he is a not a fast player but he thrives in that open field because he can just you know ding passes all around the pitch especially switching play and and starting a counter which is also why he's value, valuable in the middle of that back three in some matches where he can just sit back there and just pass it out of the back and start these counter to a Mkhitaryan
1: yeah. and players like that yeah as long as long as he doesn't have to worry about controlling the ball as much yeah. and just you know really like sending it forwards yeah he, he's great um and one thing I'll, I'll never forget is in 1819 uh when the Francesco was on the cost of getting fired and we had that nightmare game away to Fiorentina in the Coppa, which was you know conceding another seven goals. Um Jekyll was losing his head that night. And the only player that actually had the courage to talk back to him on the pitch and tell him, look, you're you're are out of line was Brian Cristante. Mm-hmm. Um, so he does have that leadership quality where he he will speak his mind and you know he knows that he he knows enough about the game that he you know he'll will, he will say no this is the way it should be done. And I like that about him. Yeah. Um another undercover leader of the team who doesn't wear the odd man but Speaks his mind is Gianluca Mancini, and he's back to scoring form after a long, long drought. We knew he was a predator corners with Atalanta, but uh, it just hasn't translated to that kind of form in a in a Roma shirt until this weekend, where he, he scored it uh, from an indirect corner, Pellegrini laying off to Riash, who it in, uh, I think it was a was it an inswinger. I think it was an inswinger. Uh, uh,
0: yeah, he, th- I think so.
1: Yeah. And uh, Mancini with the death as it touches, almost like the the man of last miracle against Barcelona. Um, I know you're a big Mancini fan, so yeah, why don't you just take it away? Tell me how you feel about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been a big Mancini fan since they signed him. I thought it was a big signing when they signed him. I know this summer some people thought maybe Kambula's arrival would mean Mancini get less playing time, but I think it's it's become very clear that Fonseca's top three is the top three. I, I pointed out I a little said. bit earlier in the year with uh yeah. Ibanez, Smalling, and Mancini, and Mancini's done nothing but deserve to to play. You know, Kambula will get his games. He's also going to be a quality defender for Roma, I think. But Mancini, like you said, kind of an undercover leader on this team too. He also will take on those leadership roles on the pitch, even if it's not with the armband or mm-hmm. um, maybe not as often because is, he doesn't have to because there's kind of that hierarchy in terms of who approaches the ref. But I, I think he's – you know, I've read about him, how he's a student of the game. He goes and watches tons of film after matches, you know. I forget which match it was. It might've been the Derby last season or one of those matches where right after the game, he was next to an assistant coach with the iPad instead of just going to the locker room to shower. He's over there looking at the iPad to see what happened on a certain play. And, and you can't teach those things. That's a, that's an innate thing where you just kind of have that desire to absorb the game and you just want to make yourself better. And I think Roma has a player. I think, you know, him, Pellegrini, Cristante, all of those leadership abilities, along with the veteran players who, you know, already have those roles in Jekko and Smalling and Mkhitaryan. They're, you know, they have the experience. These are younger players who are taking on that role, and I think that's big for the team as well. And I'm just a big mm-hmm. fan of his, and I think, you know, it was nice to see him get the game-winning goal. I love the emotion he showed when he scored, how much it meant to him and how much it meant to his teammates. Um,
1: yeah. You're,
0: you're a big Manchester fan, is too, it, his leadership, I remember you saying.
1: I'm I'm a huge Man fan. More more so, uh, more than anything, for his ball-playing ability, mm-hmm. which I – was not on evidence yesterday, but it just wasn't apparently that type of game. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to see him scoring because uh, especially with, with our, our next game coming up, I've, you know, I've barely seen Lazio this season, but uh, I brushed up on them yesterday. It seems like they're, they're conceding a lot of goals from set pieces from corners. So if Mancini can once again pop up with a set piece uh, Friday, I'm more than happy about that. Yeah, um, yeah I guess to wrap up, our, our final individual talking points. One other person will be in the spotlight this week, and that's Paolo Fonseca himself. Uh, a lot of people will be still rattling at his door about how he's failed to be yet again, another top-six opponent, direct rival in the table. Is this going to cost Roma by the end of the season, or can they still stay in the top four by just beating up on the on the small guys? We will find out, but one uh, decision of his that was questionable, well, two really, was one was that the Spinazzola start uh, coming up with injury, you know, do do you really put that faith, that much faith in the in the Italian over Bruno Perez who's done nothing wrong? And uh, the other one was to start Jacko, not to start Jacko, but as you mentioned, playing for virtually the whole 90 mm-hmm. minutes. So, uh, you know, I mean, we pretty much already covered this in in the, in, the, in the podcast about what what influences these decisions. You know, there's there's the money, there's the there's the experience, there's the fact that Jacko is the highest paid player in the club. You know, it's, it's, he's also the captain, so it's unrealistic to expect him to to be on the bench week after week. But let I me mean, put it to you in a straightforward question. That's very personal. Do you, do you look at Fonseca's management jackpot? Do you think that you see a coach is afraid of a player?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I had that thought run through my head earlier too, even before I saw this note. I don't know if it's necessarily a fear, but it's almost like, you know, Fonseca is not the oldest, most experienced coach around. He's not an Ancelotti or, you know, someone like hmm. that who has a whole ton of experience where he can st- you know, say to a player who's a veteran, like Jekyll, who's the captain, who's the leader, like you're not playing today, or, you know, you're done after 60 minutes, you're not playing well. It it is a question that begs to be asked because, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily he's afraid, but maybe there's something like an idea in his head. Like I can't bench my captain and my, you know, hundred goal score for a 23 year old kid in a big match. I I wonder if that does go through his head. I mean, what do do you think? Do you think he's afraid of Jekyll? Do you think it's something else?
1: I wonder, you know, the m- reason why the, the fear factor sort of crept in for me was because there's only twice ever since Ponce has been a coach where I've seen him use empty platitudes in, in press conferences, which is very unlike him. He's actually more or less a straight talker from what I've seen. But I saw him earlier this year say that Sevilla was the home of appreciating technical experience for players, regardless mm-hmm. of their age. And I felt like, that was hypocritical BS because we know damn well that if Serie A clubs had more money and could sign the best players, they would. And Jekyll, Mkhitaryan, all that would be replaced tomorrow. And Paul's face sake would be okay with that, perfectly okay with that. So it's just, an, you know, it's such an empty sentiment to, to offer. And I'd rather he just didn't say it. Um, the fact that he's actually pandering in public in, in terms of, you know, laying out the red carpet and saying, oh, how, how great these guys are doing, going out his, his way to do that, you know, for me, Fonseca is not the type of guy to do that normally. So if he's putting in that effort to really cozy up to his star players, then there's gotta be something at the club where he's he feels like he has to keep him on side on the right side. Mm-hmm. And, and like he said, he's not the most experienced coach. He's paid three times less than Jacko. So maybe he feels like he's learning from him in some ways and just you know, that happens sometimes. You feel like yeah. your your players are are dictating tactics in the team and, and really shaping it for you. you know, Fonseca is a delegator the coach so he he's not an authoritarian he won't he won't come into the training ground and say these are the plays and you do them he, he will set up a system where the players pass the ball around and work on their first touch but um, they get put into scenarios that you know two on threes and, and three on fours where they have to learn to make better decisions on their own so it's a very yeah. self-autonomous way of training players where they they are expected to, to take responsibility so in that in that sense you 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 know you are growing a system at the club where you're leaving it open to some players um, having an undue undue influence over uh, the the club rather than other players you know like 23 year old mayoral he's done nothing wrong um so yeah sometimes it's just that one press conference where i thought okay maybe fonseca is deferring to jacko a bit too much here but uh having said that i just don't think it's a reality even though i feel like mayroff should be a starter i just don't think it's realistic to expect uh anyone to bench the captain in the highest player player, week after week yeah
0: yeah i agree i don't think he'll be benched week after week i think when mayroff gets his games it's going to be against the crotones the spezias um some of those type teams if it's a two match week he'll get the lesser team more than likely and Jekyll gets the inter or the lazio um Because he's still the me, captain. Me, to me,
1: it's unfortunate because yeah. I, I really want to see morale against the big team for more yeah. than just eleven minutes against Napoli or two minutes against Inter. So yeah, I, I think the sorry the the, the I looked up um, the goal the minutes per goal ratio of uh, the top ten strikers in Europe last season, and the uh, ten was Ricardi for PSG at one hundred and eight minutes a goal. Um, and then this season in Serie A. Um, to be in the top ten, of, says yeah, you have to be scoring. I think it's at least one goal every one thirty minutes, which Duan Zabata at, at, at Atlanta. If you if you're within one thirty minutes per goal for every goal to like around mm-hmm. eighty or ninety, which is Lukaku, Ronaldo level, you're in the top ten. You're the top ten. And whereas Miral and all this, he scores a goal every one hundred twenty minutes. For yeah, right
0: so he's a so top ten in, player. Like, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, and Jack goes out a goal every 150 minutes. Yeah. He, you know, both offensively and defensively, Merrill is outperforming right now. I, I, albeit against lesser opposition. Right. But I'd love to see him against bigger teams.
0: Yeah, and he showed even in the Europa League. And again, those are lesser competition. We didn't play any heavyweights in the Europa League. But he showed he has a knack for goal. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the best thing that happened uh, this last week to Rumble was... You know, Dzeko wasn't seriously injured, but it was enough to keep him out from starting that match on Wednesday. So Myral at least got that start because if Dzeko's not, doesn't have that little, you know, whatever he felt in training, because he still played a little bit at the end of the match, that kept him from starting and playing 90 minutes. Myral maybe doesn't even start midweek because they're so Jekyll heavy in the starting lineup so often. So, you know, I, I don't want Dzeko to get hurt, but it would be interesting to see if there is a match that Dzeko has to miss, that, miss that's a big match, how Roma goes about it with Meyer all and how he performs. It it would be interesting. Who
1: would, who would you start against Lazio without, without any justification, just one one.
0: It's still hard for me not to start Dzeko and then see how it's going, but maybe have a shorter leash than he had against Inter.
1: Okay. Fair enough. That's that's a solid answer. Yeah. Yeah. That wraps up uh, coverage of Roma Inter. the post-match. I don't know if you're, or recovering from an early wake-up wherever you are in the world, or if you're happy with result or not, let us know on the boards and the forums. So you know where we are, ks.totti.com. Um, We I before we get into this final section, looking forward to uh, the derby della capitale this Friday, Stephen. I, I don't know if you actually had in mind uh, bringing on your your, your mate Terry Mancini. Uh, yes. so on Yeah jerry will be
0: will be on with me later in the week we'll probably record wednesday or so hopefully get it up by thursday for a little uh lazio perspective of the derby we know Lazio's not playing the way they were last year they did advance in the champions league credit to them um yeah. which was impressive i was a little surprised how that played out but um in Serie A, they're not playing that well they're they're in eighth place right now um mm-hmm. you know and i think you know you brought up the fun second point where he hasn't beaten many big teams. He hasn't beat any of them this year. You know, we had the draws to Juve, Milan, and Inter, which are all pretty good results, but then the, the heavy losses to um, Atalanta and Napoli. This is probably the team out of the six other, quote-unquote, big teams right now that Roma has to beat. I, I, the mm-hmm. derby is always tricky, but this is the one. If Roma's going to win, say, two big matches, pull out some more draws and big matches the rest of the year and just beat up on these small teams to qualify for the top four, these are the yeah. two they have to win.
1: Are um, uh, Lazio a big team, though?
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm,
1: not, I'm not asking seriously, though. No, yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> I think, in terms of last year's table position um, and maybe just like a threat for a Champions League Europa League spot, I guess yeah. we could say that.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, I, Lazio fans will beg to differ, of course, but um, no, but all joking aside, I think of those teams that were prior to the season considered like Champions League Europa League contenders. Yeah, uh, This is one you have to win, and I think you have to, again, when you pay, play Sassuolo the second time, they're not a big team, but they're battling for those positions. You have to beat Sassuolo the next time. You know, the first last time that was unfortunate too. But, you know, if you draw Juve again in Turin because they go to Turin, they go to the San Siro for Inter. If you draw those matches again, those are fine results in my opinion, especially if you can beat the smaller clubs, but you have to beat Lazio. At mm-hmm. least take four points off Lazio. You, you, you can't not get a win, especially – I think Latio hasn't been playing well. Um, this is the yeah. time to, to be, play them and hopefully carry the momentum from the Mancini tying goal into Friday and, and take it to them a little bit more than they've taken it to some of these other big teams and actually play an aggressive 90 minutes rather than if you get up a goal, kind of sit back. I, yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, we, we had a bunch of notes lined up for, for previewing this match, but given that we'll have a, another episode on Thursday and we'll have Jerry speaking with Steven, we'll, we'll leave it at that for now. Um, is there anything that you want to say in anticipation of that? Maybe, I mean, I highlighted the fact that we kept Lukaku um, off the score sheet as we can do. You, what, 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 how do you fancy your odds against Chiro and Mobile?
0: Yeah. So that'll be interesting. I think he's a different type of player than Lukaku. I think Chiro needs a little more help in setting up his goals from what we've seen. You know, he's, he's a great goal scorer. You know, he's, he's not scoring 20 plus goals every season for no reason, but I think personally when you take out maybe Luis Alberto is a little more important than focusing just on Immobile because uh, Immobile gets so much in terms of assists from guys like Alberto and the wide men. If you start to take out the other pieces around him, I think it's a little bit easier to neutralize Immobile. I think if they can focus on Luis Alberto, uh, I think they might be able to take out Immobile and Alberto at the same time and really put the pressure on Lazio. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll see.
1: We'll see. We'll We'll have plenty more on this game in the preview coming up later this week. Uh, for now, we're going to leave you with that. It's been episode 22, as usual. If you're not already listening, then you know you can find us on Spotify, on Google, on Apple, all the major networks, and you can always find us on the forum as well. Every day, day to day, we'll try and be more news on that on that Elena Lenari move later this week, and also any other transfer news. We've got Rumba searching for right backs for attacking midfielders. that you know they're all over the shop right now. Um, but that's it from us for now. Uh, from myself and Stephen, bye for now, and uh, stay tuned.